We just watched on YouTube, and it was like the most expensive house that's ever been sold in Denver. It was $72 million, which is stupid. And it was a, listen, it was the most beautiful home I've ever seen. But $72 million felt like way more. Do you think they asked for their closing costs to be included? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. I was just like, I don't understand. And I mean, this was like in the mountains of Aspen, you know? Well, the location does add like $70 million. Listen, have you been to Tuscaloosa? I'm just kidding. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. And we need to talk about the Patreon, Mogap. What? We do? That's my favorite thing to talk about. You know why? It's popping off over there. There's some good content. It is. Okay, so we just released our January bonus episode. That was the true story behind the movie Alpha Dog. I am going to go watch that, I think. Yeah, you should. You should. We dropped a mini creep on your engagement story. We talked about uh, all the Florida men creep, Florida men memes. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that's called. We've got other bonus episodes on the true story behind the movie Compliance about the McDonald's strip search phone call scam. We've got the true story behind Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. The true story behind Hustlers with uh, oh, that that was with Jennifer good. Lopez. Yeah, that, was, that fun. was fun. Just to clarify, too, so that people know, mm-hmm. at the $5 level, you get the bonus episode. But in order to get the bonus episode and the like little mini creeps that are the things about all different topics, like we said, Waffle House, Am I the Asshole, the Florida Men, the Engagement, Christmas Story, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's at the $7 level where you also get the card and sticker that's autographed by me and Kristen. I like calling it autographed yeah. instead of signed. So <laughs> make sure if you want all of that, you're at the $7 level and not just the $5 level. That's correct. Thank you for that clarification. It also what? will list when you go to sign up, it'll list all the perks of every level. So just read through that. Make sure you pick the one that works for you. Patreon.com slash true crime creepers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. 
So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creepers. All right, this is a story I have wanted to tell for a while. I first heard about this story a couple of years ago on a podcast, and I think that even if I told you the name of the podcast, it would kind of ruin it. So I'm going to share all my sources at the end of this episode instead. But this story just completely stunned me. And here we are. This is the survival story of Tanya Head. Mm. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Not Tanya Harding. Never mind. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You did text me about her. Yeah, I did. Okay. On the 96th floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center was the. Mm -mm. We cannot. (laughs) We cannot. We cannot be. Yeah, sorry. This is a 9 11 story. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm. You know, my heart is like. Yeah, mm. it's a tough story. But this is one that has to be told. This has to be. Are you ready? No. No, not really. All right. Are you already crying? Your Um, face is getting all scrunched up. I know. What is happening to me? Oh, Mogab, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, no. Is it? That was so soon. I know. (laughs) All I said was. (laughs) We were just talking about this recently because. I never had this conversation with Russell and I never thought about it because he, you know, lived in like an hour from New York. He grew up, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know how it came up. We talked about it because I'm sure with the like 20th anniversary and all that, I think we had talked about it or something. And he had mm. said, yeah, I mean, imagine being so close. And I like never dawned on me because I mean, I feel like so some type of way about this. And I was in Houston, Texas, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think that September 11th is just kind of one of those events that it doesn't matter how far away you were. Like, we all Mm -hmm. feel connected to it in some way. Like, even -hmm. if you don't have like a personal story, like, every single person can tell you where they were that day. Oh, yeah. We knew that day that it was going to be like that, that that was a Mm -hmm. day that we were going to remember forever. It's just so weird because we were at such an age, like we weren't too old, we weren't too young, like we were just Mm -hmm. right. It was like right Right. when you're forming thoughts about Mm -hmm. the world, outside opinions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we had all the TVs on. We watched the second plane live. Like I watched that live, you know, at like what, 14, 15. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, it's going to be a long one. Yeah. Well. On the 96th floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center was the Merrill Lynch Bank Conference Room. The morning of Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, a 26-year-old woman named Tanya Head was chairing a meeting in that conference room. She was closing a merger between Fiduciary Trust and Franklin Resources, Inc. when, at 8.46 a.m., she heard people screaming coming from the hallway. Tanya looked up and out the window to the North Tower, and directly across from where she stood, 
She could see black smoke billowing and fire starting to engulf the floors across. She didn't know it yet, but American Airlines Flight 11, carrying 81 passengers and 11 crew members, had just crashed into the north side of the North Tower of the World Trade Center, and another plane was headed for the South Tower. Tanya couldn't believe what she was witnessing. All around her, people were screaming, panicking, running. Some grabbed their phones to call friends and relatives. But Tanya had her eyes glued to the North Tower. She was counting the floors from the top, trying to place the 100th floor where her fiancé worked. (gasps) She'd just gotten off the phone with him. He'd called her around 8.30, asking if she wanted to go grab a cup of coffee with him, but she'd told him she was walking into a meeting and she couldn't. She told him she loved him and she'd talk to him later, and now she was looking at his floor engulfed in flames. I cannot do this. I know. She could only pray that he'd gone to get that cup of coffee because their love story could not end here. Tanya and Dave, her fiancé, their meet-cute was straight out of an early 2000s rom-com. It was in February of 1999, and it was a cold and rainy day in Manhattan. Tanya had just finished a 15-hour workday, and she was exhausted, just looking forward to getting home, putting her feet up. It's usually nearly impossible to get a taxi when the weather's bad, so Tanya was grateful when she was able to flag one down pretty quickly. She took a second to put down her umbrella before climbing in, but before she could, a man jumped in the cab just ahead of her. Tanya was so, she was so mad, she started yelling at the man that had just stolen her cab, but the man just seemed amused by Tanya's plight. He said, my name is Dave, and you can have the cab, but you have to promise to call me, and he handed Tanya his business card. She was so annoyed, she just threw the card away and (laughs) didn't think twice about him. At the time, Tanya was living in San Francisco. She was working as a financial management consultant for Anderson Consulting, who would fly her out to New York regularly for work. And she's 26, you said, right? She's 26 on September in 2001. 2001. She's a doing a merger in the World Trade Center. I know. Tanya. I know. About a month after the taxi incident, she was back in New York for work, and she ran into Dave again. (gasps) I know. Some reports said that they were in the same meeting at the World Trade Center. Others said that they ran into each other in the lobby. Either way, Dave recognized her from the cab and offered to buy her a cup of coffee. Their cup of coffee turned into chatting the entire afternoon away. They hit it off instantly, didn't stop talking for three hours. It seemed like the connection was just immediate. And so they did the long distance thing for a few months until Tanya finally moved to New York to be with Dave. Kristen, they better be married still with 10 kids. Do you hear me? (laughs) Do you hear me? (laughs) I hear you. She got a job as the senior vice president for strategic alliances at Merrill Lynch with an office on the 96th floor of the World Trade Center. Together, she and Dave bought a fancy apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and a golden retriever puppy named Elvis. Oh, my God. Do you hear me? (laughs) That puppy better have 10 puppies. (laughs) Tanya was originally from Barcelona, Spain. She was the daughter of a diplomat, and she'd always just had really big plans for her life. She came to the States and got her undergrad from Harvard and her MBA from Stanford. And now she had the fancy job, the fancy apartment, and her own Prince Charming. And the dog. And the dog. dog. 
She felt powerful, like she'd achieved something, like everything was going exactly the way it was supposed to. They were this super cutesy kind of couple, you know, the kind that finishes each other's sentences. No, I'm not aware. (laughs) (laughs) Tanya loved how sensitive Dave was and how he would volunteer at soup kitchens because he believed that no one should go hungry. Tanya felt like he was too good to be true, despite his obsessive punctuality, how he would often lose his car keys, and the fact that he once tried to steal her cab in the rain. (laughs) One day in early spring of 2001, Dave took Tanya to dinner at Windows on the World, which was a restaurant on the top floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center with stunning views of Manhattan, and there Dave had asked Tanya to marry him. Immediately, they started planning their wedding. They picked a date in October of 2001, but Dave couldn't wait that long, and he decided to plan like a symbolic ceremony before the actual wedding. In August, Tanya says she came home from work and found a trail of rose petals in the apartment. She followed them to the dining room to to find Dave wearing a coconut bra and a grass skirt dancing to Hawaiian songs. (laughs) He'd even cooked Hawaiian food, and on the table were two tickets to Hawaii leaving the next day. He'd planned this whole amazing trip, including having like her measurements sent and had this beautiful white dress made for her. He'd even arranged for her parents to fly in from California to witness the marriage ceremony. And at the ceremony, as Tanya was walking down, there were these like Hawaiian men with these big torches waiting to escort her down to the beach where Dave was standing in the middle of this like circle of orchids. Mm. And it wasn't like a, a legit wedding. It was just like a ceremony. They weren't like officially married. But the next day they called all their family and friends to tell them they'd gotten Mauied. Oh my god. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it! Their future was looking so bright. But that all came crashing to a halt as Tanya stood there staring out the window at the North Tower on fire, counting the floors to a hundred. And it was clear Dave's floor had been hit, but Tanya didn't have time to mourn. She had to move. She had to get out of the building. She ran down 18 flights of stairs to the 78th floor Sky Lobby, which had express elevators that could take you all the way to street level within a minute. People were pushing, trying to get in the elevators. Tanya heard a man yell out, ladies, this is not the Titanic. It's not women and children first. Tanya was standing at the elevator when she heard an incredibly loud roar and a woman screamed that another plane was coming, heading directly towards them. This was United Airlines Flight 175, carrying nine crew members and 56 passengers, including five hijackers. When it crashed into the South Tower where Tanya was hit, it hit between floors 77 and 85, and she was on the 78th floor. She said there was a deafening explosion as the plane crashed in and a fireball ripped through the corridor. The heat was unbearable. A wing of the airplane sliced through the lobby, and Tanya said she felt the oxygen sucked out of her lungs like there'd been a change in air pressure. And she was thrown back, flying through the air from the impact, and she says she remembers the pain of hitting this marble wall. Her clothes were burning, and she realized her arm was nearly severed. Held to her body by just, like, a tiny piece of skin. All around her were burning bodies, and many of them were people she knew, people she worked with every day. She even told the story about how she saw her assistant decapitated. (gasps) 
I know. I know. She tried to find a way out, crawling through the carnage, and a man started tugging at her severed arm, not realizing he was about to rip it off her body. Tanya screamed, terrified that she was going to lose her arm, and she tucked it into her coat pocket and kept going. She passed a man that was dying who stopped her and handed her his wedding ring, and engraved inside was a woman's name and the word forever, and the man made Tanya promise that she would find his wife and return the ring to her. She promised him, and that's when she blacked out. When she reawakened, her back and right arm were on fire, and she was certain that this was the end for her. And that's when she saw a man come into focus, and he was wearing a red bandana that covered his nose and mouth. Have you heard of this guy? Uh Uh-huh. He would be known as the man in the red bandana to many, many people that he saved on 9-11. His real name was Wells Crowther, and he was a 24-year-old equities trader and volunteer firefighter that worked in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. After the attacks, survivors of 9-11 kept telling stories of this man that had saved them, this man wearing a red bandana, who had discovered the only stairwell in either tower that had not been severed by the planes. He would show people the way, and then he'd go back to help more people, going back up into the higher floors, from floor 78 all the way up to floor 104, leading people to safety. He carried people downstairs when they couldn't do it themselves. And then he'd go back up to see if anybody else needed help. And he did this over and over again until the buildings collapsed. And he died that day, but he saved a lot of lives. And it was this man that saved Tanya Head's life that day. He used his jacket to smother the flames on her body and hugged her, telling her to stay awake while he led her to the only stairwell where they could escape. It was a long way down, but Tanya kept going, and she said the thought of making it to her wedding with Dave, of picturing herself in that white wedding dress, that was the thought that kept her going. She couldn't miss that. On floor 20, she passed out again, but a firefighter found her and carried her to the bottom floor and then passed her off to another firefighter. And just as that firefighter took her out of the building, The tower began to collapse, and the firefighter threw Tanya under a fire truck and, like, shielded her with his body. And as the tower collapsed, they were engulfed in debris that would have suffocated them, but the firefighter shared his oxygen mask with her until they were both rescued. There were only 19 survivors that day that were at or above the point of impact of the planes, and Tanya Head was one of them. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. I didn't either. 2,977 people lost their lives that day, and her fiancé, Dave, was one of them. Oh, my God. Fuck. Tanya woke up five days later in the hospital, where she stayed until Thanksgiving. She had severe burns on her back and arm. Surgeons have been able to reattach the arm that had been severed, but it would be a while before she would have full use of it again. It would also take some recovery time for her to be able to walk again, so she was confined to a wheelchair, which she couldn't operate because she only had one good arm for a while. Here's what I need to know. Mm-hmm. Did all of these people, like, these people didn't get, have medical bills, correct? Like, Tanya didn't leave and have medical bills, right? So, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that the survivors of September 11th were not the focus of anybody's attention for a long time. And that's part of this story, actually. Is this story like we only have five more minutes? Because I am shot. I am. We're done with the September 11th part, mostly, kind of. 
But Dave. You're literally going to kill me at the end of this, but. Yeah. One, because I just got engaged. So there's that. <laughs> Second of all, like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I know. I just literally talked about our friendship. I'm so and glad I watched it. It might be over at the end of this episode. I'm oh, great. I'm hoping not. We'll see how mad you are. Okay. I'm not going to sleep for weeks. I'm going to buy you some, like, Valium. <laughs> I should have brought you some from Mexico. <laughs> oh, my God. You can get it at the pharmacy there. <laughs> oh. oh, well. I'll make, a little I'll make a little trippy trip for you. Just kidding. While she was in the hospital, her entire focus was healing her physical self. But once she was released, she had to face the invisible scars. Tanya was completely traumatized by this experience, and the loss Surely. was just almost too much for her. She couldn't believe that this beautiful life she had and all these future plans were just gone in an instant. But miraculously, she had survived, and she knew she needed to start working on healing from the trauma. One of the first things she did was track down the owner of that wedding ring, the one the man had given her on the 78th floor. It was inscribed with a name, and Tanya was able to track down the widow and return the ring. And she realized how healing just that one act had been, and she decided to do more. She established a foundation in Dave's memory called Dave's Children's Foundation and went on to serve as its executive director. Mm -hmm. And even though Tanya and Dave had that wedding ceremony in Hawaii, they'd never filed the paperwork to make the marriage legit because they were planning on having their real wedding on October 12th, 2001. But somehow, Tanya was able to find a judge that married her and Dave posthumously, and she joined oh. the ranks of the hundreds of other 9-11 widows and widowers. That's one – they were supposed to get married one month almost to the day. Mm-hmm. After. Yeah. But Tanya was dealing with major survivor's guilt over the fact that she lived when so many of her coworkers died. She'd been working on a mergers team at Merrill Lynch, and she had been the only member of her team to survive. Survivor's guilt is so interesting to me because you feel guilty for surviving, but it feels like that is the harder option, like the harder part. You know what I mean? Like, Well, and she even made the point to say that, you know, people think that you're the lucky one. Yeah, no way. But it doesn't like, feel like that when you've gone through that. And she didn't understand why she was chosen to live. And your reason for living is like gone. If, I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Till you find one again, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Mm -hmm. She says she goes crazy asking herself why. She said that loved ones of people that she was with wanted to hear the story of how their loved one died. But it had become like a burden for her to carry because she hated being the one to put the image into their heads of what happened. She said, who wants to talk about body parts and blood and carnage? Like, there's not many people that you can talk to about that. So in May of 2003, Tanya started seeking out support online in dealing with her experiences on September 11th. And she found an online Yahoo forum for survivors of 9-11, as well as friends and family that had lost loved ones that day. And at first, Tanya mostly just browsed. She posted just a few times about being thankful to have found the community, but she kept like any details of her story to herself. But it was an amazing thing for these survivors to find this community of people who all knew exactly what they were feeling. Yeah. And on Yahoo, I just thought, I feel like there would have been like a more formalized space for that. 
But I guess no, like that's- there wasn't. There was nothing at this time. I mean, this was well. This is was two years mm. later, but still, there right. was nothing. But a big part of healing from an experience like this is to tell your story. And at the time, it was really hard for survivors to share their stories in detail, especially those with like graphic details like Tanya's. They all felt the need to hold back in this online community because you never knew whose loved ones would be lurking in the forums. And the survivors didn't want to upset family members of victims, you know, with the grisly details of how their loved one had died. So there was only so much they really felt comfortable sharing. But the survivors really needed help, too. You know, a lot of them were now in financial crisis. They're suffering from survivor's guilt, as well as dealing with health issues and mental health issues. And they were feeling completely unseen. They were considered the lucky ones because they had lived. And so all of the attention, rightfully so, was on the loss of life. But the survivors needed support, too. After being a member of this online forum for a while, Tanya suggested the survivors split off and start their own group. And so they formed the World Trade Center Survivors Forum. And it was this really intimate group, and it grew quickly with so many of them connecting and forming friendships and finally feeling like they could really share their story of that day. And Tanya became really well known amongst the 9-11 survivors thanks to this online group. She was able to give support that no one else ever had. One survivor, Aaliyah Zadino, Mm -hmm. she'd been grappling with an enormous case of survivor's guilt. She said the question of why did I survive became why did I have to survive? And she was not doing well. But then she found this group, and especially Tanya. Aaliyah really admired her for her strength. But the more she got to know her, the more she could tell that her strength was a facade. And she was struggling too. Tanya's? Mm Mm-hmm. Tanya's strength? And that, yeah, and that she was struggling too, like the rest of them. Eventually, Tanya felt comfortable enough to share her story of survival with the group. She posted all of the horrific details of the 78th floor, and her story shocked so many members of the group. Several survivors, including one named Brendan Chellis, read Tanya's post and was just blown away by what Tanya had gone through. Everyone in that group all had terrible experiences that day, but Tanya's experience just went beyond what any of the others had gone through. Yeah, like the arm and the... And just being on the 78th floor when all that happened and being one of 19 survivors at at or above the point of impact, I mean, it even made some of them feel like they didn't belong in that group or didn't deserve to be dealing with the level of trauma they were because their stories seemed so insignificant to hers. Like their stories turned into just sounding like I just had to run down a bunch of stairs and out a building, you know? That's what I was going to ask. Like a lot of these people were on lower floors and it was still very traumatic, but they were maybe on the eighth floor, got out, and then like they weren't, I guess, as high up as she was because there was only – Exactly. Yeah. Their story seemed so insignificant to hers and she seemed to be dealing with it so well. A lot of other people felt the same way as Brendan, but Tanya was very supportive. She told everyone that what they all went through was equally important, and her resilience was really inspiring to people in the group who just couldn't imagine going through what she'd gone through. Tanya, listen, you are a gem. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand. Like, I don't know that I'd be cheering everyone else on. Like, I would just be living in my, like, hurt, you know? Absolutely. I would just be so mad. I know. One of the survivors of 9-11 was a man named Jerry Bogax. And he was a survivor from the attack on the North Tower, which that was the first tower hit. Mm -hmm. 
He'd been on the 82nd floor when the first plane hit about 100 feet above his head and by sheer luck was able to make it out of the building. My gosh, 100 feet. That's like nothing. With like right. an airplane, you know? Like, right. And he was trying to build a network of survivors, like part support system, part survivor advocate type of group. And he'd heard mm-hmm. that Tanya had started this online group. So he got in touch with her and they emailed back and forth for a few months sharing their stories. And he was just, again, like everybody else, struck by how dramatic her story was. The fact that she was there on the 78th floor experiencing the plane crash personally, while her fiancé was on one of the top floors in the other tower and was killed. Like, this idea of a person that had gone through so much was just nearly inconceivable to him. And he noticed that others in the group were very protective of her. Jerry also had other ideas on how to form a community of survivors. He started having dinner with people in his office that were interested in meeting and discussing their 9-11 experience. And at first, it was all North Tower survivors. But after a while, he decided he wanted to start a more formalized survivors network to help fill this hole he felt like he had since 9-11. And he invited Tanya to a meeting. And together, they formed the World Trade Center Survivors Network. And they really wanted this organization to be legit. They drafted a mission statement with detailed goals listed. Their main goal was to become a voice for survivors, to help them become a more substantial part of the 9-11 story, to feel less ignored, and to be included in plans for the site of the new World Trade Center. The Hmm. World Trade Center Survivors Network would grow to be a group of about 150 survivors that became active in the historical preservation efforts in Lower Manhattan and the development of the 9-11 Museum that's now operating. They also Mm -hmm. took part in several studies about the evacuation of the World Trade Center and explored ways in which survivors can convey their stories in a positive, constructive manner. And survivors that found the Survivors Network say that they felt like they'd found a purpose. Yeah, I can't imagine, like... Yeah, it was very important for them. And one I'm just like at a loss of work. Like I keep trying to like think of something thoughtful to say, and I just am like still struggling. This is not gonna be my best work. (laughs) (laughs) I just am like in shock and I'm thinking of all of the things that like I mean, I was a young, you know, I was 14, but I think about like how sad it was and like everything I was feeling as this like kid growing up in this time, and I'm like There are, and I know this, but I'm like, there are literal people that had to live after being, like, almost, like, had their arm severed and lost their fiancé. And, like, I just can't comprehend this. I guess now that I'm at this stage in life where I'm like, I've worked in an office building. I have a fiancé. I have a dog. And, you know, like, I'm at this place where this feels so different thinking about now. That's part of the reason I wanted to tell this story because – Like I said, rightfully so, I think our attention has almost solely been on the people who lost people that day because it's so Mm -hmm. sad. And we do think of their survivors as the lucky ones. They got out. They're fine. They're good. They got out. And we don't think about the financial crisis that they're struggling with. Like their entire companies were just destroyed, like everybody they work with. Then all of their coworkers might have died, or at least a few of them, like, and then just experiencing getting out of the building, getting to safety. Like, have you seen the boats that, like, they had to go to the pier and all those boats coming to rescue everybody? Like, it was, it was a day. I don't even know if it's like, because I'm at this age too, but I'm thinking like, 
okay, you lose your fiance, you were planning on like getting married and having kids, and now you're like, you starting know, over. starting over, and like yeah. you may not be able to have kids. Like I, I don't know. I just think about that too. Like this reset so many people's lives. Yeah. Ugh. And for what? For what? Yeah. For nothing. One important goal for the Survivors Network in the early days was to create Survivors Day, where they could meet up at Ground Zero, which was the site where the World Trade Center towers once stood, and go past the gates, something that they weren't letting anyone else do, they being the, mm-hmm. those people in charge of that area. And the survivors thought that this was something that could help them heal and move on from that day, or at the very least, give them the chance to say goodbye, just like returning to the site of this horrible mm-hmm. thing. That, you know what I mean? It can be Can't healing. imagine that. Yes. Tanya said she had an obsession to not be like the hijackers. She wanted to get involved and help, and she kept busy by planning events and bringing people together. She became an energetic booster for the needs of the community, and she was already so popular within the organization. I mean, her her story fit into this all-encompassing, like, survivor, hero, widow, just everything that 9-11 came to represent on that day. And not only that, but people just really enjoyed being around her. She had this tremendous sense of humor. She laughed a lot. She always wanted to plan another event and do more things. And people were really drawn to her. And she did a lot for the network. She prepared materials. She hosted fundraisers, created meeting agendas. She even secured state funding for the network and even used her own money to fund specialized trauma experts. Wow. I like love this woman. (laughs) But her prominence within the 9-11 survivors community grew exponentially when she was able to pull off what no one else had been able to do, and she got approval to hold Survivor's Day at Ground Zero. And now the details got a little fuzzy for me on this part because they started talking about Survivor's Day, and then they were also talking about the Tribute Center and these tours that she would take. And so I'm not sure like when certain things happened here, but... Basically, after Survivor's Day, Ground Zero like morphed into a tribute center for the World Trade Center, and they were in need of tour guides. And with her cheerful demeanor and dramatic personal story, there was just really no one better suited for this job than Tanya. Obviously. So days before the fourth anniversary of 9-11, Tanya took the first guided tour of Ground Zero, where she shared her story to Mayor Michael Bloomberg, former Governor George Pataki. I think, and former mayor Rudy Giuliani. A group of reporters on the tour with her wanted to interview Tanya as they left the tour. And she just spent the better part of an hour talking about her story. And it just would have been a great human interest piece. But Tanya clearly did not want to do the interview. She looked really uncomfortable. And it culminated in a full-blown panic attack, like she was breaking down, crying and shaking. The people with her told the reporters to leave her alone, and they just got her out of there. Tanya attributed her panic attack to nerves, but she also loved the attention that she was getting. She shared some of the news coverage of the of her with the politicians to the Survivors Forum, and she became like the celebrity survivor. She even convinced a director to follow her around the camera to document the work that she was doing for the Survivors Network. Mm, okay. Why are you giving me that face? Don't you do it. The next year, on September 11th, 2006, was the fifth anniversary of the attacks. 
And at this point, Tanya's got her director documenting the whole thing. Like there is a documentary about this that I watched that I'll give the name of at the end. And each year there would be like an official ceremony at the site beginning at exactly 8.46 a.m., the Mm -hmm. time the first plane crashed, with a moment of silence. And every year at the ceremony, people would add items in the reflection pool at the site in memorial of the attacks or like memorial of their loved ones. And every year, Tanya would bring a little toy taxi cab to put in the reflection pond to remember Dave and that day and just everything she'd gone through and everything she'd lost. And the director like got footage of her getting ready to go to the ceremony and like her talking about this little toy taxi. Because Tanya was sharing her story so much at Ground Zero, like giving tours of the Tribute Center, word got back to Jefferson and Allison Crowther, the man in the red bandana's parents, Wells Crowther. They first heard of Tanya Head when a friend of theirs that also volunteered at Ground Zero called them and told them that she'd heard of someone else that their son Wells had saved. So the Crowthers wanted to meet Tanya, and so they arranged to have a dinner at this private dining room at the Princeton Club because Tanya had told them that she'd love to meet them, but she was really uneasy about holding the meeting someplace more public. Like, she definitely didn't want the press there or anything like that. And so Mm -hmm. the meeting happened, and Tanya told them all about how Wells had saved her life. She told them how he had extinguished the flames on her body with his jacket and said that she even still had some of the burnt clothing. She offered to send them a piece of it on a plaque because it was probably one of the last things Wells touched. (gasps) And she told them that she'd asked Wells not to leave her and that he said, I won't. Don't worry. I'll get you down. And hearing how her son had saved this woman's life really meant a lot to the Crowthers. Yeah. Getting so involved with the Survivors Network and helping others was really allowing Tanya to hide her pain, to mask it. But the pain was still there. And she started becoming distant from everyone and and regressed until she was even in denial about her husband dying. She would go back and forth referring to Dave as her fiancé, sometimes her husband. Her friends started to worry about her completing suicide, especially her best friend, Linda, who was another 9-11 survivor. Linda and Tanya had become practically attached at the hip. Did they know each other before? No, uh -uh. they met each other through the network. And like all the others, she'd been drawn to Tanya's resilience and amazing sense of humor in spite of her trauma. And Linda said that Tanya taught her how to live life with grace and gave her the strength to overcome the scariest thing that she'd ever been through in her life. She wanted to live her life like Tanya, just going out and helping other people. I want to live my life like Tanya. No kidding. When she saw Tanya start to distance herself and stop acting like herself, she was really worried and she was determined to do everything she could to help. Tanya got really into this type of therapy called flooding that required you to relive your experience over and over. She recorded herself speaking about her experience, including like the graphic details like finding her assistant decapitated, everyone around her on fire, her arm getting almost completely severed, all of it. Tanya asked Linda to be there with her while she listened to the tape over and over. And of course, Linda agreed, like she wanted to help her friend. And sidebar, flooding is an actual therapeutic method, but I'm really certain it's not usually performed like this. I can't see a therapist telling a patient or a client to go and do this on their own, like without the therapist there. Mm-hmm. Especially when it seems came- like you could really backslide or like really fall into a scary place if you weren't there with like someone yes. to like you should be monitored. Yeah. Yeah. 
especially when it came to inviting another survivor in to just be trauma dumped on. You know, Linda had her own trauma surrounding September 11th to deal with. And soon Uh -uh. the flooding exercises were giving her so much anxiety that she started having nightmares about that day. And so she finally told Tanya that she had to stop doing these flooding exercises. And to her shock, Tanya was furious with her. Oh, oh no. I can, no, I cannot have beef with Tanya. <laughs> she told her I that cannot. she was a horrible friend, that she was being selfish. And she said, <sighs> don't you realize how the trauma I sustained is so much worse than what <gasps> you went through? Oh, yeah, not no. a good look, Tanya. Oh, and Linda. No. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> And Linda felt so guilty because she knew, compared to her story, Tanya had been through so much. Like, she couldn't imagine what it would be like trying to recover from something like that, especially seeing how difficult it had been for her. I'm worried about recovering from this episode of the podcast. (laughs) I'm a little worried about that for you, too. I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. You're a terrible (laughs) friend. Sorry. Don't you know? (laughs) My trauma? This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Other survivors had noticed Tanya's decline and they noticed how much emotional labor they were spending trying to help Tanya feel better. And they were all growing increasingly concerned that she would take her own life. But one of the survivors was a little worried about something else. Brendan Chellis the survivor that I talked about at the beginning, one mm-hmm. of them, he was starting to take a harder look at Tanya and her story, and a few things oh. were really standing out to him. Oh, no. No, ma'am. First. Kristen? He noticed. Is Tanya a liar, liar, pants on fire? First, he noticed that Tanya had never shown anyone any pictures of her and Dave. No oh, pictures from no. their Hawaii wedding ceremony. No pictures from their engagement. Not even any pictures of their dog, Elvis. Oh, don't you bring Elvis into this. <laughs> no, 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 no. He no. also found it weird that Dave's family like never came to any of the Survivors Network events. And then the Are thought crossed his me? mind. Like, Are you shitting me? What I can't. if? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Who would make this up? Okay, that's what I'm thinking. 
But so he's thinking, what if she's a compulsive liar and she just made it all up? Yeah, but you don't mess with September 11th. Exactly. He didn't actually think that was possible. That would be ridiculous. Okay, good. But one night, (laughs) but one night he was about to go to bed and he just couldn't get the thought of it out of his mind. So he decided to look online and just check and see if he could find any connections to her story. They would just confirm it was true. You know, he Googled Dave and Brendan was relieved to see that he existed. He was a real person. He had been where Tanya said he was working on the 100th floor of the North Tower, and he had died that day. Brendan found tons of newspaper articles and obituaries, message boards, like he was a very popular guy. But as he started reading about Dave, he felt the little hairs on the back of his neck start to tingle because pouring over every article, obituary, every post on the message boards, Tanya's name was not mentioned one time. There was no mention at all of a fiancé, no mention of this trip to Hawaii and getting Maui'd. <laughs> getting Maui'd. <laughs> Tanya had lied. She, I bet she was able, she found him because he's on everything. She Googled him. Did she Google him? Did she Google him? Brendan didn't get any sleep that night. But he kept the information to himself for a while. You know, the Survivor's Network was so important to him, and he didn't know what would have happened to him without them, and he did not want to lose that. But he knew the power that Tanya held over this group, and he could see Tanya making all these people turn on him if he were to tell anyone about this. He knew he'd tell them eventually, but he really, really didn't want to do it. If this story is made up, and I went through that emotional like first 15 minutes of this episode on her story. Let me be clear. <laughs> <laughs> what will happen? Well, let's uh let's just see what happens here. You should be concerned. <laughs> you should be concerned. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> While Brendan is Sitting on this information, trying to figure out what to do, Tanya is proving exactly how much power she really had over the Survivors Network. She approached Jerry Bogax, the man who'd started the network with her and who was now the head of the board of directors for the organization. And she told him that there were people in the network that told her that they were concerned about Jerry's leadership, that he wasn't representing survivors aggressively enough. After that conversation, Jerry was called in by the rest of the board of the World Trade Center Survivors Network to talk about these concerns. But Jerry said it was basically Tanya just leading this meeting. It did not go well for him. Soon after were the annual elections for the board of the network. And the night before, Tanya called Jerry and basically saying, you don't really want to come to this meeting, do you? And Jerry said, you know, what are you telling me, that I'm not going to be reelected? And she was just kind of quiet. Jerry was not reelected, and he left the organization at that point. You better not be Googling anything. I see you looking down. I see you looking down at your phone. <laughs> I can't take it. I wasn't really, all I was trying to Google, I just wanted to Google what she looked like. Just because I've. Mm-hmm. Did you Google what she looked like? Well, I started typing, but there's a lot of different ways to spell Tanya. There is, and you're never going to guess the way she spells it. <laughs> well, depending on how this turns out, I hope she, I'm not going to say anything nasty, but. In case she, you regret it later. Yeah. Something tells me I won't from the <laughs> smirk on your face. 
So Jerry was not reelected, and he left the organization at that point. He had started this organization, and he felt shaken by being ousted. He didn't understand how he'd managed to alienate all these people. Mostly, he felt self-doubt, asking himself what he could have done. But he was a little angry, too. And I'd like to remind you that this was a man who was on the 82nd floor of the North Tower when the first plane hit. The next day, the World Trade Center Survivors Network put out a press release that described the new board, and it listed Tanya as the new president of the board. What was she before? She wasn't, I don't even think she was on the board. I'm not entirely sure, but there had never been a president before. That was a new office. It hadn't even existed before. And Jerry Bogax hasn't been active with the network since. (gasps) Oh, Jerry. But like Brendan, Jerry started taking a closer look at Tanya. One thing that he noticed was that her arm looked like it had gone through skin grafts, supporting her story about her arm being nearly severed in the attack. But it didn't look like it had been burned, like she'd said. And it made him question her story. But he kept his thoughts to himself and he tried to shake them from his mind. Like he was mad at himself for even thinking something was amiss. Yeah, wait a second. If she's making this up, if that's the accusation, there's so many things. She was in the hospital, mm-hmm. the marriage with Dave. What about the firefighter that like mm-hmm. carried her mask? down and shared the Uh huh. Yeah, what about all that? Yeah, but it would have been so cruel to question her story. Like, who would oh, yeah. make up that they had been in the World Trade Center on September 11th? Yeah, why? Why does she want to? Why would she want to do that? And and to think you could get away with it. Like, this is, like, not saying that you, like, you know. Right. Know you and there that. were other stories that she had told, too. Like, she told people that she'd lost her wedding ring in the World Trade Center and that Tiffany's had replaced the ring. She would go back and forth calling Dave her fiancé and well, then her husband. I know that's not true because Tiffany's is not great at replacing things. I can just <laughs> confirm. Well, maybe you have to be a survivor of 9-11. I mean, yeah, okay, I guess maybe that that feels like maybe more (laughs) important. And it's a wedding ring, you know. I was just trying to get a necklace fixed, but. Ah, yes. I lost a Tiffany's necklace once. A couple of days before the sixth anniversary of 9-11, Tanya came to Aaliyah, one of the survivors I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And she was frantic because a reporter for the New York Times kept calling her wanting to do a story on her. (gasps) Oh, yeah, she didn't want to do the other interview. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. The reporter's name was David Dunlap, and he really just wanted to do a nice human interest piece on this amazing survivor, this Harvard and Stanford graduate. Uh, Where was she now kind of a thing. She's doing all these wonderful things for survivors. It would be great. And initially, she'd agreed to the interview, but then she started pushing back and just acting really strange. Did you even go to Harvard, Tanya? Did you even go to Harvard? (laughs) And then Stanford? She said the reporter was asking all these personal questions, and she kept saying that he was going to write lies about her. She canceled three scheduled meetings, saying it was due to privacy and emotional turmoil. Once, Dunlap, the reporter, did manage to get her on the phone briefly. She wouldn't explain why she was so reluctant to speak with him. She wouldn't give any details to corroborate her story. All she did was tell him that she had not filed any claims with the Federal Victim Compensation Fund and that she'd done nothing illegal. She got so upset that she hung up on him. That feels weird. Dave Dunlap thought it felt pretty weird, too. So he called Jerry to ask him a few questions about Tanya, and he agreed to answer them. But about halfway in, 
he realized this wasn't just a human interest piece on Tanya. This was an investigation. <gasps> Dunlop then called Allison Crowther, Wells Crowther's mother, the man in the red bandana. Oh, no, don't do this to her. And told her that he was writing a piece on Tanya, but that there were just a couple of things that he couldn't quite put into place. And Allison's immediate reaction is, why are you harassing this woman? You know, she's been through so much. People were right. really protective of Tanya. And they knew that for whatever reason, she did not want this article to be written about her. But after a while, people started to wonder why she was so freaked out. One of the survivors on the board named Lori, she says that she was driving everyone on the board and in the survivors network completely crazy talking about this article. And they were all like, just talk to the times. Like, what is your problem? Yeah. Tanya was more than willing to share her story on guided tours of Ground Zero. So why not share it with the times? One night, Tanya was with Aaliyah and just begged her to call Dunlap and tell him to leave her alone and that she did not want a story written about her. So Aaliyah did what she asked. She called David Dunlap. She left a message for him. But when she hung up, Tanya started yelling at her, telling her she'd probably just made everything worse. And Dunlap's questions weren't exactly hard hitting. They were things like, was Dave her husband? Did she work for Merrill Lynch? Where does she live? Where was she hospitalized? Questions that should have been pretty easy to answer. Yeah. Linda told this one story about Tanya that was really strange. Tanya had told Linda that Merrill Lynch had arranged a family conference at the St. Regis Hotel. There were 11 coworkers of Tanya's that had died, and these families wanted to know how their loved ones had died. Tanya didn't want to do it. She said some of these people had stalked her and harassed her. They'd been so mean to her about how she had survived when their loved one didn't. And so she called Linda, asking her to come help her. And Linda jumped in a cab and rushed over to the St. Regis. And she found Tanya lying on the side of the hotel. And she was just repeating the words, I tried to save them all. I tried to get all these people out. Linda was so concerned that this was the day Tanya was going to make good on all the threats on her own life. And so she helped get Tanya on her feet and she wanted to help her find a quiet place for them to sit. She went into the hotel to explain the situation, figuring that the hotel had helped arrange this meeting with Merrill Lynch and they should be willing to help Tanya find a quiet spot to sit and recoup. But the people at the hotel had no idea what she was talking about. They didn't know who Tanya was. They had no idea about any reunion meeting of 9-11 families going on at the hotel that day. Oh, no. After a while, Tanya managed to pull herself together and asked Linda to take her to the Marsh and McLennan Memorial, where her husband, Dave's name, was engraved. And Linda said Tanya just kept touching Dave's name over and over again. Oh, my goodness. Also, I don't think that, like, I mean, I don't know. I've. I feel weird speculating, but I don't think families, like, I think these people know how their loved ones died. They died in 9-11. I mean, I don't think they're, like, asking for the gruesome for details. details. Or threatening the, a person. Like, threatening out. another survivor to find out how their loved one passed. Like, Or to just, harass them because they lived and their loved one died. I Yeah. I don't think it's happening. No. Oh, get me get me to the end of this train wreck. Each year, the night before the 9-11 anniversary, Tanya always would have a barbecue at her house. But the year of the sixth anniversary at the barbecue, she was just crying hysterically, telling them that the New York Times reporters were fact-checking her and questioning her story. 
And Linda was thinking, you know, what horrible people they are, while Brendan was thinking, they're on to her. Linda told Tanya that she had to prove her story was true. She begged her to tell her the name of the firefighter that had carried her out to safety, the Mm. one that had thrown her under his fire truck and then shared the oxygen with her. Yeah. She said if Tanya just gave his name, they could prove to the Times that her story was legit. But Tanya would not give her the name. And that's when Linda started to see the cracks. When the reporter wouldn't stop his investigation into Tanya, she hired a lawyer named Stephanie Fergang Adwar. Tanya told another member of the board, Janice, that she was so concerned about this article because she wasn't a U.S. citizen. And Janice was very supportive of her. She went with her to the meeting with the lawyer, but she wasn't allowed to go into the office with them at first. So she waited outside for about two hours before she was asked to come in. And when she did, the lawyer, Advar, started repeating certain things that had just been discussed with Tanya. She said things like, Tanya, it's okay if you were just with Dave for a few months before the attacks. And Tanya, it's okay if you'd only ever been in the building on that day. Tanya said she'd actually been in the towers applying for an internship that day, not leading a giant merger between two large financial institutions for Merrill Lynch. Which I mean, okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. Janice was stunned. These were things that totally went against everything Tanya had been saying for years. You know, her entire story had been a complete fabrication. And it soon became apparent that no part of her story had ever been verified by anyone. Merrill Lynch had no record of her employment. No one had (sighs) ever heard of her at Harvard or Stanford. Ugh, didn't even go. Didn't even go. Dave was a real person who actually died in the attacks. That's a reason I'm not giving his last name because he didn't have anything to do with this. None of his family or friends, including his roommate, had ever heard of Tanya. So she just like picked the most like. Yeah. Generic name or most Googleable person. I don't know how she picked him. There are no registration records for Dave's Children's Foundation, the charity Tanya said she'd started in Dave's honor. No one could find what hospital Tanya had been treated at after her attacks. No one could find who the man was that had given her his wedding ring and as his dying wish asked her oh. to return it to his wife. That's made up too. Everything is made up. Everything is made up. Oh. <laughs> she'd even told people she'd gone to Thailand in 2004 to help with tsunami relief and to Louisiana to help after Katrina, but there was no documentation to corroborate that. Is she like obsessed with attaching herself to these really traumatic events? Is that That's a thing that people like. do? I don't know. Yes, I don't know. Even the smallest details of her story couldn't hold up to the scrutiny, like the fact that no one had ever seen this golden retriever she said she'd gotten with Dave named Elvis. Mm, yeah, I have. Elvis. So didn't. they're not married with 10 kids and 10 puppies. No, Elvis did not exist. <sighs> I knew you were going to be so mad at me. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Janice called Linda and told her that Tanya is not who she said she was, that she was a fraud. She told her she wasn't even in the towers that day. Oh my God. How was this not like, how did I not know about this? How did you know about this? From a podcast that is called Swindled. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to tell you that at the beginning because <laughs> I didn't want to tell you that uh-huh. the podcast was called Swindled. It was episode 37, Survivor. Uh-huh. 
In fact, Tanya Head wasn't even in the country on September 11th, 2001. Shut up. No, she was in Spain. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> I mean, how dare you to like the nth degree? Like, how like, dare you? You're scum. <laughs> you are scum. Mm -hmm. The members of the Survivors Network all felt so incredibly betrayed. Oh my God, Remember, this is a person that's imagine. making actual real survivors feel guilty about their own trauma. Like their trauma yeah. wasn't bad enough. She's not even in the country. Is she a U.S. citizen? Is she American? No, born? she's uh, she's from Spain. So she's from Spain. Mm -hmm. She lived there. She's mm -hmm. over there at this time. Mm -hmm. And she's all up in our business? Mm -hmm. In our business. Yeah, we'll get into it in a little bit. But she was like obsessed oh, with America and Americans. <laughs> hmm. We don't spend that much time on her, don't worry. <laughs> Great. I give you the bare bones of, of – She can be obsessed with me. I'll have a phone call with her. <laughs> they felt like if somebody could lie about something like this, how could they ever trust anyone about anything ever again? I cannot believe she would mess with these victims. Like, you want to make up your story that you're in this thing. That's awful. I hate you. It's terrible. But why are you associating yourself with all these people that really went through this? What have they done to you? And like putting them through a second trauma, like you're the person that helped get them through their trauma. Like you could mm -hmm. have supported survivors, like done everything that you did without pretending to Faking be one it? of them. Yeah. Tanya was quickly removed as president of the Survivors Network. Yeah. President of the World Trade Center Survivors Network and as a mm -hmm. tour guide for the Tribute Center, leaving a group of people in her wake wondering what the hell Tanya's game had been. Yeah, me now being one of them. She didn't make any money off of her story, so it was never about that. But she certainly received fame and status. They couldn't help but wonder if she was just evil or someone dealing with mental health issues. Her now both. ex or both. Her now ex best friend Linda said, I don't have any room in my heart for sadness for her. What she did to the 9-11 survivor community, I want answers. I want to know who she is. First of all, her name isn't even Tanya Head. It was Alicia Esteve Head. What? I don't know if Tanya was like a nickname for her or if she just made up the name Tanya. I'm not sure. She came from a wealthy family in Spain and was raised in Mallorca. She was the baby of five brothers. And because of that, she was the apple of her parents' eye. She was always the center of attention with her family. As a kid, she was pretty spoiled and even had like a purebred Arabian horse. Childhood friends described her as very cheerful, jovial, pleasant, and generous. And as she grew up, she was known by a lot of people and moved in very high social circles. She'd hang out at tennis clubs where the best society in Barcelona goes. And so a lot of people knew her. But then her family was involved in like a major scandal in Spain that involved fake payments to the prime minister from this maritime factory that her father owned. Her father spent time in jail for it along with her brother. And there was so much embarrassing publicity, and Tanya stopped seeing her father and brother after that. One trait her friends all knew about her, like I said, was that she idolized the United States. She'd always wanted to go there. 
When she was younger, her parents sent her to study in the U.S., and she would brag about how well she spoke English and how easy good grades came for her. She became a very ambitious, professional person, always needing to be the best. Her coworkers said that she was savagely competitive and that she surrounded herself only with people that couldn't compete. But there was an explanation for her injured arm, because that was kind of the one thing that was like, kind of supporting her story because there clearly was an injury was like there. Something, yeah. Yeah. Several years before 9-11, she took a car trip along the coast with her friends and the car went off the road and rolled and her arm was actually severed in the accident and it flew out the oh window. Oh, <gasps> Yeah. But it was Ooh. found and reattached and Tanya was the so only one in the car that was hurt. Oh my gosh. So... I wonder if that started her, like, survi- like survivor obsession. I know, like, no one else was injured or died. But, like, this idea that this traumatic thing. And who knows? Maybe she got, like, me. a lot of attention from that. That And she'd been dealing with this, like, scandal from her family. And so once she got this, like, positive attention and people, like, wanting to coo over her, mm-hmm. maybe it made her feel a certain way. And she was, like, desperately seeking that out. But, like, go pretend to be in another car accident. Like, <laughs> yeah, like even Anna Delvey, who's like pretending to be an heiress, like robbing people out of money. I'm like, okay, yeah, you suck, but like, I'll follow you on Twitter to like see what <laughs> shenanigans you're up to. But like, Tanya, right. you can go like, bye. Yeah. You can just like go live on Mars. I'm done with you. <laughs> like, so, what was Tanya actually doing on September 11th, 2001? No I'm one not interested. <laughs> well, no Unsubscribe. one is exactly sure either. At the time, she was an MBA student in Spain, and September 11th is actually a national holiday there. It's the National Day of Catalonia. So there were no classes that day, but a week later, she was back in Barcelona in her classes. So chances are, she probably wasn't even in the country on September 11th, 2001. Was no one in Barcelona? Like, I guess they don't know that she's like... Yeah, not until this Times article broke. And talked about what a fraud she was and all these lies. And then it got picked up over in Spain. But nobody in Spain, I mean, we in Houston aren't even learning about the president of the World Trade Center Survivors Network, you know? Yeah, that's true. She obviously did her research on the attacks and on Dave and on Merrill Lynch. She probably red bandana, the man in the red bandana trying to put herself and taint his story too. like, stop it. Stop it. Though, I'm kind of glad because I had never heard of him. Or if I had, I know I'd heard of him because I went to the museum and I, I saw the bandana, but I don't think I really processed his story because there's, mm-hmm. it's a lot, that museum, you yeah. know? So she probably also did a lot of research on the other survivors too, like lurking in the survivors forum, browsing, reading what they were saying, and mimicking them until she became one of them. There's only 19 that were in that area, so the amount of people that could call her out, fact check her, or mm-hmm. even care. Like, if I've just survived that and I'm on, like, the 84th floor, I'm not worrying about Tanya's story, you know? Like, I'm not... If I had just been through that experience, there's not a chance in hell that I am thinking that somebody is making this up. Yeah. Where am I really reading? I don't know that I'd be in these forums, but if I was, yeah, I'm not going to like question. 
Well, and, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of information that I came across about the network. But what I did find was that there was only 150 people in this. And there were like thousands of survivors, like thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands and thousands of survivors. So, I mean, yeah, it wasn't a – and none of them knew her before, you know. Well, obviously, (laughs) because she lied. (laughs) Yeah. What happened to her? Please tell me she is in a world of hurt. Well, after the Times article, Tanya basically disappeared. In the documentary that I watched, her real name. Well, I mean, now we Alicia Esteve Head. Right. In the documentary about her, which is called "The Woman Who Wasn't There," I didn't want to tell you Mm. that before. You know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I wish you would have. Yeah. I I can't. I'm not. I am not. I, I can't started, wait now. I felt really guilty when yeah, I was reading Yeah, I can't that. wait now to go back and listen. Because mm. you were agreeing with me, you dirty little rat. Yeah. And I was like, I love her. And you're like, yeah, I know, right? Well, Ew. the Tanya that she no, pretended you. to be was awesome. And I will say, I'm not, I'm not defending her and I'm not like validating her or making excuses for her. But like she did do a lot of work for the network. I mean, if she if her whole story had been, I mean, it it would have been incredible. But it wasn't real. After the Times article, Tanya basically say she gave some of her own money. Yes, too? yes, to fund like trauma experts. Tanya, girl, yeah. Alicia, whatever your name is, you could have done all of that without. Mm-hmm hurting a lot of people like you could have been Mm -hmm. like i wasn't there but i feel passionately about this and i want to be an advocate and i want to help and then go forth and do all of the things yeah and not only hurting a lot of people hurting a lot of 9-11 survivors (laughs) yes yeah that's a special and victims families like wells crowther's family you're like infiltrating on them. Oh, my God. Was she going to give him a plaque with a piece of, like, flannel T-shirt she, like, burned with a lighter? Right. And she – the part that I cut out earlier, she was, like, at this dedication for this statue for him and, like, spoke at this dedication and (gasps) – yeah. Uh Uh-uh. No. So in this documentary, The Woman Who Wasn't There, they say that she basically disappeared. No one heard from her. No one knew where she was. No one ever saw her as soon as this article came out. But then they got footage. They saw her in New York in 2011. At the Blaine Buffet. First I mean, in line. Piling that plate high, you know. Yeah. With just She's everything. making two trips with a dirty plate, probably. She's Definitely probably the with a dirty plate. Shows up uh-huh. with a dirty plate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She probably brought her own dirty plate. <laughs> <laughs> and lied about it being clean. And lied about it being their plate. It seems like she went back to Barcelona after the article came out, but she's done a pretty good job of keeping herself under the radar. I'm Googling her now. (laughs) She has never apologized. (gasps) Oh, what? Yeah. She's never like made a statement or anything. Members of the Survivors Network have varying opinions of forgiveness for Tanya. You know, Linda said what she said about, like, just not having any room in her heart for sadness for Tanya. But she said she misses her friend, like, the person that she thought no, girl. Tanya was. Well, that's a Linda, huge Linda, we'll loss. be your friend. We'll, we'll be your friend. Linda, we're cheerful and jovial, too. We haven't been through what you've been through, but we will hear you. 
We'll mm-hmm. support you. We'll be your real, genuine friend. And we will not lie to you. We will not, Linda. And uh, that is the story of Tanya Head, the woman who oh. wasn't there. Well, on my list of stories I hate, that is top <laughs> of the list. Zero stars on Goodreads. <laughs> You should watch the documentary. It's fantastic. Oh, I definitely am. <laughs> uh-uh. Oh, my God. There's no, like, criminal. No, because yeah, she didn't she do anything that would, like. Didn't do anything illegal. She didn't take money. She didn't make any money off. It was, she volunteered all of her time for the tours. She None never. Of these lies are, like, you know, perjury or anything. Right. Yeah. And now she's, like, left the country. So it's always it always baffles me the amount of like energy or time or like resources people put into building Mm -hmm. a fake life or scenario, whether it's like this situation or Anna Delvey. And it's like you could achieve like, are you going to be a victim in September 11th if you lived in Spain? No, I don't know why you'd want to be like you can achieve this thing of I want to be a part of this or I want to help or I want to whatever in another way if you harness all that energy for a positive thing. But these people that like, Anna, you want to go make a center for kids who can't read good? You can still do that without claiming to be a German heiress. Well, like, she needed to a $200 million dollar loan. She could not have done that without claiming to Then go work at the Waffle House. Like, <laughs> like, go get a job and like do the work and build the thing. Right. You yeah. know? Like, well, and that reminds me of something that I wanted to put into this episode. One of the widows was talking because, you know, she like had this whole story about like marrying Dave posthumously and now she's one of the 9-11 widows and all of that. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. And I don't know. I'm still not sure that you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could maybe see a judge making an exception for a 9-11 widow. Mm -hmm. But considering like all of the financial stuff that comes into play when – you get married and like how it would complicate that. I couldn't see like that. There, yeah. And there'd have to be people that like, so I could just go marry Tupac, you know, like if I, like, I think there has to be right. someone that's like checking. Yeah. the You would think the judge would have asked to see pictures of you two together before he like married <laughs> you to a 9-11 victim. They do that for, I know this from nine day fiance, but like for the K-1 visa, you know, you've got to prove you have a relationship. Like, and she's not a U.S. citizen, so, like, wouldn't they have done that? <laughs> right. But anyways, this widow was saying, like, why would this person want to join our club? Like, this is not a club anyone would want right. to be a part of. Like, why do you want to be a part of this? It's just tragic. It's she just tragedy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she wanted the attention without like, having to actually through- go through the thing. Well, in that story, like, I went through, like, I was crying for this woman's story. Mm-hmm. Like, I never felt really it. bad. Oh, yeah, I can tell. I was thinking about how she could have still done exactly what she did, but, you know, without as much attention, I guess. But she would have gotten away mm-hmm. with it if she hadn't made her story the most dramatic survivor story yeah. of them all. You said it just like Chris Harris said The Bachelor, the most dramatic season yet. Yeah, like she, if yeah, she could have just been like, was like, like Odysseus survivor. walking yes. through the burning fires, 
seeing the the <sighs> men with the ring and de- getting that from him and seeing her assistant and like oh. and my I was thrown against a marble wall right and, my and I saw the plane the wing of the plane slice through the floor I saw that happen. and decapitates and the and the guy red bandana like it could have just been like uh-huh. somebody. Like, if someone's rescuing and saving my life, I'm probably not catching his name or who he, like, you know, there's no, a lot of, like. No, that's the only reason why people could connect him was because he was right, wearing that the, red bandana over his face. She could have yeah. said, like, just some random person helped mm-hmm. me down the stairs. I didn't catch his name. Like, she pulled every major mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's the thing. Like, you're not thinking straight. And that's no. why all that flooding stuff, she was able to do it because she was telling fake stories. And that's why well, it was so I'm traumatic like, for Were what, you Linda? trying to. What were you trying to do to Linda with that? Like, yeah, Linda, you do not need her as a friend. Come hang out with us. Yes, please. We won't ever talk about that day. Unless you want to, girl. You can always share your story. Unless you want to, girl, and we'll just listen. We'll just listen. Could you imagine us as like me and you, just like a therapy support for people? Yeah, just- I have my degree in counseling. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Never mind. I was like, I can't be quiet that long. I don't want to give my opinion. Okay, do we have shout outs? Yeah. You're not in the mood for shout outs? Well, I wasn't. And then I was like, this is a September 11th episode. And then I was like, but it like wasn't though, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's not though. Right. It's like a liar, liar, pants on fire episode. I knew your outrage would just really make it all worth it. <laughs> God. <laughs> and it's like, how do I not think this one? I feel like I started to catch on, but like this one, I'm like, no way is anyone ever lying about this, you know? Like I'm, ne- my brain's. I not know the going relief there. on your face, and I was like, "Mogab, nobody would lie about this." And you're like, oh, you're oh "Right, I know. Of course not." Yeah, because you're like a good oh. person. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, peeps and creeps, it's shout out time. Cue the music. Shout out time. And unlike Tanya, who we don't like, these people we love. <laughs> These people we adore. All right, start us off. Major shouts to Sarah Patridge. It's a cha sound at the end. Sarah Patridge. Thanks so much. Patridge. Patridge? Patridge. Oh. (laughs) Major shouts to ATX Wholesale Liquors. Drink local Texas craft alcohol. (laughs) What is like shouting out companies now? I will always drink. Local Texas, though. That is my God Brothers company. <laughs> is it liquor or beer? It's just all liquors. It's like a wholesale liquor place. He's a oh. wholesale. Well, it's called wholesale liquors, but he does do beer and wine, too. Oh, hey, yeah, he does everybody, all. go get your ranch water, okay? <laughs> uh, major shouts to JD. Major shouts, JD, and major shouts to Katherine Howard. She knew she knew we could just pronounce her name. I know. We didn't She's need like, help. I'm not messing with this. She's the like, get finale. it together. Catherine Howard, you got yeah, this. Yeah, like, y'all figure it out, okay? <laughs> well, thanks, Kathy. Thanks for entrusting us with that. Yes. And last but certainly not least, Sharon Burchell. We love you, Sharon. We love Sharon you. Bear. We love you all. Thank you all so much. That was so fun. Love you all. If you still have not heard your shout out, we have a few on the list. We're just doing like a few at a time. So you will get your shout out on a future episode. We're just going in order. That's all. Going in order. I'll be up all night. So thanks for that. Yeah. I had to do a lot of research on this. That was tough. I know. I bet. But honestly, I was really glad that I did this because 
I learned a lot. I learned a lot about Wells Crowthers, who was an an actual hero that day and that I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I can't a lot wait to look him. him up. I want to read about well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just I'm incredible. Like the, he saved all these people. He like he found this stairwell and then instead of just saying, Oh good, I found a way out, he was like, Oh good, I found a way that I can like help get people out. You know? Yeah, be like Wells, everybody, not like Tanya. Can we name the episode that? Be like Wells. Not like Tanya. <laughs> Yeah, let's just give it all away, Mogab. All right, so uh, thanks so much for listening. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at CreepersPod. Join our Facebook discussion group, True Crime Creepers podcast discussion group, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Go in there and tell everybody how mad you are, Kristen. Yeah, and we've got all of the memes, the Waffle House memes. We've got the... Just the everything. I can't think anymore. I, mean, I just I, what's going on in there? I did a I did an hour and a half on September 11th. I don't remember anything. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, That's fair. So follow us on the things, and you know, have a great day. Hey, leave us a rating and review. Uh, give us to three. Oh, give us to three seventy five. Moga, did you know there, that you can get ratings on Spotify now? What? People, no. Spotify I listeners, if you listen on Spotify, because you, you have Where? to actually listen. If you listen, well, I didn't know that's new. That's new. It's very that's new. Really if you listen on Spotify, go give us five stars, please. You can't write a review, but you can give us five stars, and that's hugely helpful. So please go do that. Bye, peeps and creeps.